Well, good morning. And happy Father's Day to all the dads who've gathered here in the room, to every dad who's watching us online. Man, it is my hope and it is my prayer that you have a wonderful day today. Brock mentioned that he spent some time this week kind of reminiscing, and I have done the same thing. As I look back over uh, my time as a dad, I couldn't help but remember a weekend when my wife Lynn and my daughter Amy and I, this is before Jonathan was even born, uh, we took off for a uh, relaxing weekend in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And we got there kind of late in the afternoon, but we had some time to do some shopping. And uh, we ate a late dinner. We went back to our room and pretty much went straight to bed. And sometime over in the wee hours of the morning, I had to go to the bathroom. So I got to go to the bathroom, and the way the room was laid out, you had your sleeping area, and there was kind of this little dividing wall. And on the other side of the wall, there was a little foyer area, and there was the door to the restroom. So... As I stepped around that little dividing wall, I got the shock of my life. There was a man standing in our room. You think I'm kidding? There was a man standing. So, dads, I did what any of you would have done in the same situation. I yelled. (laughs) Now, I want you to know I did not scream. You got it? I did not scream. But I was startled. I mean, who expected that? To, who expected a guy to be standing there? So I yelled out, waking up Lynn and Amy. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but I had this fig- much figured out. He had to be up to no good. He had not been invited. What in the world was he doing standing in the darkness in our room? And so I tell you what, dads, what do you do in that situation? You protect. So uh, I, I, I planted my feet. I threw up my fist. You know, I, I know the drill. I was raised in Salem. I knew, you know, so I, I'm like, you know, I don't know. I can tell you this, pal. If you're going to get to them, you're going to have to come through me. And I may not be as good as I once was, but I'll bet you I'm as good once as I ever was. <laughs> so, man, I'm standing there, you know, and, and I'm sizing him. I'm wondering, I mean, what do I do here? Do I wait on him to make the first move or do I... Pounce on him with cat-like quickness. Quickness. I mean, what am I going to do? So as I'm contemplating what to do, you know, I, I, the, my eyes are starting to adjust to the light. And as I hear Amy in the background going, Daddy, what is it? And Lynn was going, Ronnie, what is it? I realized that I was looking into a full-length mirror on the back of the bathroom door. <laughs> So, uh, fathers, what would you have done at that moment? i tell you what I did. I walked over and opened the motel room door and slammed it and yelled, Don't you ever come back here again! <laughs> walked in and told Amy and Lynn, Just calm down. He won't be back. He does not want a piece of this. <laughs> I learned something that night. Sometimes... I am my enemy. I want to give you a very practical sermon this morning. And you're going to hear from the title. You're going to go, what in the world? Uh, I want to teach you something today. I want to teach you how to become your own worst enemy. It's easy. Three simple steps. 
And where do I get these steps? I got them out of a story found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter number 22. I'm just going to tell this story. So you ready? Everybody ready for a Bible story? Good deal. King of Judah was a guy named Jehoshaphat, and he went up to visit with the king of Israel. His name was Ahab. They're sitting around talking, and Ahab said, Guys, do you know there's a city called Ramoth-Gilead that actually used to belong to Israel, but we don't, we don't own it anymore? Well, here's what I think. I think we need to go take it back. And so he looked at Je- that Jehoshaphat, and he said, So what do you think? You think you'd help me with this? Jehoshaphat said, Absolutely. Our armies will be as one. Uh, however, I have a request. First, don't you think it'd be wise to ask God how he feels about this? Now, Ahab was not a godly man by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he was part of a line of very evil kings that led Israel, and this is what the Bible said about him. He was worse than any of them. And so Jehoshaphat said, you know, I'm in, but I think we need to find out from God what he wants us to do here. And so Ahab goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the faint, you know, faking spirituality. Sure, that's what we ought to do. He happened to have 400 prophets on his payroll. So he called all these prophets in, and he said, guys, we're thinking about, you know, launching a military attack and taking back Ramoth Gilead. What's the word of the Lord on this? Well, I'm telling it to the man, they began to say, this is what God says. God says that is exactly what I want you to do. You know, you go, I'll be with you. You go, I'm going to give you the victory. I'm, you know, man, it was like a big prophetic pep rally. They were, they were all into, yes, by all means, God says go. He's going to give you victory. He's going to give you that city back. Well, Jehoshaphat. He's kind of reading between the lines of this situation and recognizes why an ungodly king would have 400 prophets on his payroll. These guys were just yes men. They were just there to give the king assurance that he ought to do whatever in the world he wanted to do. So Jehoshaphat said, you know, appreciate, hey guys, appreciate your time. Appreciate your input here. He looked at Ahab and he said, isn't there a prophet of God somewhere? that we could talk to, someone that really listens to what God says, really speaks for God, that we could consult in this matter. And Ahab, I can just kind of see him kind of rolling his eyes. He went, yes, there's this one guy, Micaiah. Oh, how I hate him. He never has a good word to speak about me. When I go to his church services, I feel so beaten down. I just feel worse about myself than when the service began. You know, but if you, if you feel like you've got to hear from a prophet of God, I'll send for him. Joseph said, yeah, I think that would be wise. So Ahab sends a messenger to get Micaiah. And the, and, and the messenger briefs him. Here's what's going on. He wants to go take this city back. He's asked those 400 prophets. They're all in agreement. And so here would be my advice to you. Just go in, give this two thumbs up, and get out. Don't muddy the water. Micaiah turned to him and said, you don't understand how this works. Uh, this is the way it works. I hear from God. I speak for God. I only say what he tells me to say, so that's the way this is going to go down. So Micaiah walks in, listen, it's pandemonium. One guy named Zedekiah had made a set of horns out of iron, and he's running around saying, God has told me, Ahab, if you'll go into battle, you're going to gore the enemy, you know, just like a bull would gore an enemy with its horns. And he's saying, yeah, they're crazy. 
So Ahab must have calmed him down, and he looked at Micaiah, and he said, here's the thing, we're thinking about going up and taking Ramoth Gilead. We need a word from the Lord. What do you think God would have to say about it? He said, go for it, big dog. Just go for it. And this is what the Bible said. He was being sarcastic. Ahab quickly recognized the sarcasm. And he said something like this. You know, I could expect this from some of them, but from you, I need the truth. He said, okay, you want the truth? I've seen it in a vision. In a vision, I saw the people of Israel wandering the hills like sheep without a shepherd. You know why? Because the shepherd had been killed. Now, Ahab, if nothing else, was perceptive. He understood what that meant. Micaiah just told him, if you go, you die. It'll cost you your life. And at that, Ahab turns to Joseph and he goes, you know, he went, didn't I tell you this dude never has a kind word for me? Here he is, he's putting me down. Micaiah said, wait, 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 you didn't let me finish my train of thought. You didn't let me finish saying what I need to say. Um, this is an ambush. You're being set up. These 400 prophets, they're lying to you in the hopes of getting you on that battlefield. Because if you go out on that battlefield, God's going to kill you. Now, that don't give you a lot of return engagements, book deals. I mean, you know, I could see it, you know. It's, you know what Ahab said? He said, get him out of my sight. Put him in jail. Give him nothing but bread and water until I return from this battle safely. Now, you know, we preachers, we kind of got to have the last word. So Micaiah, as he's walking out the door, said, he turned to everybody. He said, okay, okay, hey, hey, hey. If he comes back alive, you know I'm not a real prophet. If he comes back in a body bag, you know that I've been speaking for God. And as he walks out the door, he said, mark my words. Well, in spite of this, Ahab and Jehoshaphat decide we're going, we're going to go take it anyway. Now, Ahab has an idea, and he, he shares the idea with Jehoshaphat, who, by the way, was a spiritual man, but apparently not a very smart man, which shows that you can be spiritual but not smart, <laughs> smart but not spiritual. And Ahab said, I got an idea. He said, as we go into battle, Jehoshaphat, I, I think you need to dress just like a king. Royal robes, crown. Ride in the chariot with the royal insignia. You need to be dressed as a king when we go into battle. But me, I think I need to go in disguise. Now guess what disguise he chose? A full suit of armor. I'm going to wear this. Listen, there was a one-inch gap around the waist where his body was exposed. Everything else covered in armor. He said, I think I need to go disguised in armor. Uh, and you know, Jehoshaphat goes, hey, think about this. He goes... Okay. And if that's, if that's the way you want to do it. Now here's what Ahab knew. He knew the Aramaeans' battle tactic. They always put together this small, elite group of fighting men, and they were told, don't you fight with anybody. Don't you stop and fight with anybody. Your job is to roam that battlefield until you find the king and kill 
him. So they go into battle, and sure enough, these 32 trained warriors, these elite Aramean soldiers, they find Jehoshaphat, and they're about to kill him, and all of a sudden, Jehoshaphat begins to say, I'm not Ahab, I'm not, I don't know if he pulled his wallet and showed him the ID, but somehow or another he proved, I'm not Ahab, you know, don't kill me. And they backed off. Somewhere in the battlefield, standing in his chariot, is Ahab. And the Bible said that a soldier shot an arrow randomly. Do you understand what that means? I mean, he didn't draw and find the peep and the pen. You know what I mean? He didn't anchor. He just shot the arrow randomly. I don't know if he had drawn and a yellow jacket stung him on the back of the neck and he just had to let it go. I don't, I don't know if he's trying to figure out how to use this thing and inadvertently let the arrow. I don't know. But the, he shot the arrow at random. You ever seen Guardians of the Galaxy? Anybody? Will we admit that? Some of you adults, you're going to my favorite movie, but I'm not admitting it in this crowd. But yeah. There's a guy in the movie, I think his name was Yondu. Am I correct? Yondu? Yondu, he's a blue guy. If you watch the movie, you're right. He's the blue guy. He had one arrow, and he controlled it with a whistle. Am I right, young man? You're helping me. All right, I'm glad you're here. And so he would, he would whistle and, and cause an arrow to do anything he wanted, and the arrow would go around things, over things, through things, to find whomever he wanted to kill. And so as this guy releases this arrow randomly, I believe God kind of acted like Yondu. And I believe the arrow went through the forest, around four or five guys, over a hill. What's it doing? It's seeking its target. And the Bible said that arrow that was fired randomly found Ahab, struck Ahab, and you'll never guess where, the little one-inch gap around his waist. That's precision. Can I say it crudely, the way we boys around Oconee County, we say it, uh, Ahab was gut shot. So he said to his charioteer, get me off the battlefield. The the charioteer takes him to the edge of the battlefield and props him up in the chariot where Ahab watches the battle unfold and slowly bleeds to death. And about sunset, the Bible said he died. Isn't that what Micaiah told him would happen? You're going to die. I couldn't help but wonder, Renee, when he's standing there, leaned up, dying, what his last thoughts were. You know, I wonder if he was thinking something like this. I could have avoided this. I wonder if he didn't realize at that moment that he was actually looking into a full-length mirror on the back of the bathroom door. That in this instance, I've been my own worst enemy. I can't blame Micaiah. I can't blame the Aramaeans. I can't even blame God. I did this to myself. 
Guys, in his story, I see three simple steps we can take to become our own worst enemy. You ready, note takers? If, if this is what you aspire, I'd like to become my own worst enemy. I'm going to give you the steps. You ready? Step number one, mistreat people. Because some of you asked a while ago, why would God want to kill this man? To answer that, you've got to go back to 1 Kings chapter 21. One day, Ahab looks out the window, and there's this beautiful vineyard that joins his property. It was owned by a man named Naboth. Ahab had an idea. I'd like to, take, I'd like to own that. Since it joins my property, I'd like to turn it into a vegetable garden. So he went down, and he found Naboth, and he said, I'll tell you what. He told him, I'd like to have it. I'd like to, you know, it's right next to my property. I'd like to, he told him his plans for it. He said, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay you for it. Or I'll trade you something of greater value. But I want your piece of land. You know what Naboth said? Sorry, pal. Uh, this land was left to me by my family. I plan on leaving it to my family. No deal. So Ahab went home, and this is the way, this is, these are the words that are used in the Bible, sullen and angry. He went into his bedroom without eating. He was pouting. He went in and lay on his bed and faced the wall. He was hurt. He was angry. His wife, you've probably heard of her, Jezebel, she walked in and she said, Ahab, what in the world's wrong with you? He said, well, I wanted Naboth's vineyard. I offered him a good offer. He ain't going to let me have it. She said, is this any way for a king to act? You want the vineyard? I'll get you the vineyard. So you know what she did? She had Naboth killed. And then she goes and she tells Ahab, hey, if you want it, you better run down and claim it because Naboth is now out of the picture. So as he is running down to, to claim Naboth's vineyard, uh, unfortunately for he and Jezebel, God was watching the whole thing and was aware of how they had treated Naboth. And he told the preacher Elijah, I want you to meet him at this vineyard and I want you to give him a message from me. Tell him this, because you killed Naboth, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to avenge this innocent man so you are essentially as good as dead. So three years later, God kept his promise to Ahab and he killed him. There's a verse in the Bible that says that we reap what we sow. Uh, therefore, if you and I have a practice of inflicting pain on other human beings, that's what we sow into their life through verbal abuse, physical abuse, whatever. You know, if that's what we do is we hurt people, that's the, that's, that's the seed we sow. Guess what, guys? That's what we reap. And it won't be immediate. That's not the way it works, is it? Plant a tomato, plant today, eat tomato sandwiches tonight. Is that, that's not the way it works, is it? You want to become your own worst enemy? I'll tell you what, mistreat other human beings. And somewhere down the line, that's coming back to you. And you know who's to blame? Can't blame God. He warned us. Can't blame anybody else. We blame ourselves. We did this to ourselves. Number two, you ready? Follow bad advice. That's what Ahab did. 
He got some real bad advice from 400 guys, and he made a decision, I'm going to do what you're advising me to do. You know why it was? Because they were affirming what he had already made up his mind to do. And in hindsight, they gave him some really rotten advice. Go, king, that's what you ought to do, because when you do, God is going to give you victory. Did it pan out that way? Mmm, bad advisors. You want to become your own worst enemy? Follow bad advice. Bad advice is going to lead you into a situation that in the end you wish you could have avoided. A painful, costly situation. I, I learned some things from these guys. Here's some things I learned. Everybody that says, uh, God told me. Everybody that comes to you saying they're speaking for God is not. I learned that all advice is not good advice. I, I learned this. There are people who are glad to advise you, not for your sake. Not to help you. They're going to advise you for selfish reasons. You know why these 400 men told Ahab what he wanted here? For their sake. To curry favor or to hold favor with the king. They refused to be honest with him. There are people in your world who will do the same thing. And if you'll study this story very carefully, you'll learn that these men were being prompted by an evil spirit to lie to Ahab so that Ahab would walk into the ambush. Sometimes the enemy uses human beings to lie to you, to lure you into situations that in hindsight you wish you would have avoided. Man, when you and I follow bad advice... We're making ourselves our own worst enemy. And then number three, I just told you three, right? What time is it? Listen, I got 15 solid minutes. You know what that means? You're going to get out early today. What about that? Hmm? <laughs> Step number three, you want to become your own worst enemy, ignore God. There are a couple of ways to do this. Ahab did them both. Uh, one, when you're making decisions, don't include God. Don't ask him what to do. Don't consult the Bible. Don't pray. Don't do any of that. Just make your decisions based on what you want. Make your decisions based on your desires, your feelings, period. That's what Ahab was doing. Jehoshaphat called his attention to it. He said, you know, I get it, man. You want to take the city back and all that, but you haven't consulted with God. He was ignoring him. There's another way to ignore God, and that is... When you know what he wants you to do, you just do the opposite. I mean, God was real clear speaking through his prophet. You go, you die. He made a decision. You know what? You know what I think he was basing it on? Dan, this is what I think Ahab believed. I'm smarter than God. I can outsmart, outwit, outmaneuver God. I'll send a decoy out there. Jehoshaphat's the decoy. I'll wear a full suit of armor, and, and you know what? It doesn't matter if somebody's looking for me. They're not going to find me. I think sometimes we get counsel from God. He tells us what we need to do, and we ignore it. And, and even though we know there are going to be consequences out there, that, that I, I should experience some consequences that will be painful or negative, this is what we think. Not me. I'm the exception to the rule. I'm too smart. I'm too clever. I can get around this. I can get by with this. You know what? No, we're not. 
We're not, listen to me. When we ignore his counsel and we do the exact opposite of the way he's leading us, we're going to create situations for ourselves that are painful. Here's the deal. Life's tough enough without us adding to our pain, to our problems. We got an enemy who is relentless, ruthless. I hate to say it, but good at what he does. We certainly don't need to be our own enemy, which means we don't cooperate with him. We don't make it easy for him. Guys, just treat people today the way you want people to treat you tomorrow. Be careful who you listen to. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a plan for your life. Some of these advisors are up to no good. Pay attention to God. Get his counsel first and whatever he tells you to do. Listen, just go do that and you'll be fine. Let's pray together. Father, I've thought about this morning what I hope and pray will happen as a result of this service today. I think this is the way I would put it. God, help us stop sabotaging our own lives. Help us realize that actions and decisions today will bring consequences tomorrow. And so, therefore, we are to be very careful not to become our own worst enemy. Help us do this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.